morning. Uh, it's going to be a really um, interesting message, not one that we hear very often, um, that, um, but I think it's important. First, I'm, you know, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to come and uh, speak before you this morning um, about a topic that's familiar to those of us who share a Christian worldview. This morning, we're going to take a deeper dive into the realm of forgiveness. I know this is a, uh, a common subject. We, we hear about it all the time. Uh, there's a good reason why we hear about forgiveness as often as we do. Uh, we're going to talk about how true forgiveness uh, frees us from bondage and from the sin of the offender. And we're going to talk about breaking destructive soul ties and unhealthy agreements. We're also going to see how the practical application of forgiveness can be considered a survival skill. So I've spent considerable time in the Marine Corps. I was, a, I was an instructor in the Marine Corps. So my style of teaching the Word of God is a little different than maybe what you're used to. I usually pick a subject, apply uh, scripture to it, uh, test it in the Word, and then bring it forward. So this morning we're going <clears> to... <throat> We're going to uh, define a soul tie. Soul ties are special relationship. It's intimate on a level that's truly a gift or, in some cases, a curse. Like when two people reach a level of intimacy that can be described as having souls that are knit together. For example, you might finish each other's sentences. You ever meet someone that you just met, immediately hit it off with? You know what the other's thinking and how they feel. You're happy together. You share common interests. You may have children together or be blood relatives. But on the other hand, you may have inherited their spiritual baggage due to circumstances beyond your control, like through abuse or neglect. Or... In some cases, you were in total control and made an active choice to engage in inappropriate behavior with someone. Criminals can create soul ties with their victims. And the most researched type of soul tie formed, forms between individuals who choose to engage in a sexual relationship outside the confines of marriage, for better or worse. But before we move into our text this morning, I want to lay a foundation and look at some of the definitions found in the word forgiveness. Forgiveness is absolution. It's a formal release from guilt, obligation, or punishment. I know this is going to strike a nerve with some of us, me specifically, um, because I've held on to some grudges for a very long time in my life. But forgiveness grants clemency, mercy, or lenience. Forgiveness demonstrates compassion, sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering or misfortune of others. Some might call that humaneness. It is a dispensation, an example, an exemption from rule, a vow, or an oath. It radiates grace the free and unmerited favor of God is manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings upon the undeserved. 
Forgiveness is an act of mercy. It cancels debt or charge or penalty. Some of you may have heard of the Mayo Clinic. I was doing my research for this message, and, I, and of course, they're a nonprofit organization committed to clinical practice, education, and research. They define forgiveness as an intentional decision to let go of resentment and anger. The Apostle Paul defines forgiveness in this way. He teaches us in 1 Corinthians that unselfish love is the basis for true forgiveness, since it keeps no record of wrongs. You'll find that in chapter 13, verse 5. Forgiving others means letting go of resentment and giving up any right to be compensated for the pain you've suffered. That's a hard one. I mean, somebody hurts me, I immediately want to defend myself, maybe react, and if they get away with it, feel unjustified. However, forgiveness is requirement. It's required to receive God's forgiveness. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14, If you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. It's conditional. His forgiveness is conditioned upon your willingness to forgive others. It is not a right. It is an action that you must take in order to set yourself up for mercy and grace and forgiveness through, through God Almighty. And Peter asked Jesus, how often is it necessary to forgive? And Jesus replied, 77 times. A number to be taken symbolically, perhaps not literally, but clearly defining the eternal nature of forgiveness. To forgive is to be committed to it forever. Oh, but wait a minute. <laughs> Do you mean that if I forgive someone their offenses that I have to continually forgive them no matter what? No matter what? Yes, I think so. Likewise, there are some other things that we already know about this word, forgiveness. For example, we know that forgiveness is an abomination to Satan. It interferes with his ability to burden us with resentment, anger, or bitterness. We know that God commands forgiveness throughout the Bible. Take the Lord's Prayer, for example. We know that God's forgiveness of our sins is predicated upon our willingness to forgive others of theirs. We know that the road to a peaceful life is paved with forgiveness. We know that the foundation of Christ's sacrifice on the cross is built upon forgiveness. We also know that the first step in healing a hurt is the choice to forgive. God can't heal my hurt until I release the offender into his hands. But before we go any deeper, there are three points I want us to consider. One, why is forgiveness a critical first step in breaking destructive soul ties? What is the goal of forgiveness in the recovery process, specifically recovery from spiritual and emotional pain? And why is the practical application of forgiveness 
actually a survival skill. First, let me paint a clear picture of the role that forgiveness plays in breaking destructive soul ties. To do that, we first need to consider the process that created those ties. So let's break it down. How are soul ties formed? According to the Bible, soul ties, also called knitted together, can be depicted as God linking his nature to you through a spiritual or emotional bond from before you were born. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 in the New King James Version says this. For you were formed in my, for you were formed, you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet formed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In a similar manner, healthy soul ties can typically form through physical, spiritual, social, or emotional connections involving complete openness or vulnerability, and we're going to come back. To vulnerability. But more generally, they blossom after close physical contact with a spouse. Unhealthy soul ties can form in familiar ways. Soul ties can form through abuse. Codependency can form soul ties. Substance abuse, the sharing of needles, can form soul ties. Covetous covetousness, the wanting of someone else's possessions, can form soul ties. Jealousy, envy, pride, all factor into the formation of unhealthy soul ties. Destructive soul ties are literally formed when two souls become intertwined beyond the boundaries of a healthy platonic relationship. So why is forgiveness a critical first step in breaking destructive soul ties? As we just learned, soul ties including sexual involvement outside of marriage, substance use or use of sh or sharing of needles, and often by giving someone else unrighteous authority in our life, as is found in codependent relationships. But true forgiveness can free you from the control of the person who harmed you. Sometimes forgiveness might even lead to feelings of understanding, empathy, and compassion for the one who hurt you. Remember, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean forgetting or excusing the harm done to you. On the contrary, it simply releases them into God's hands so that he can avenge you. More on that later. Of course, the best case scenario is complete absolution by you. But sometimes we are so deeply scarred that we have to continually forgive the offender for as long as it takes to finally be free from the pain. For example, my father was abusive. He drank, took drugs. He physically and verbally abused his four wives, four children, and others. Subsequ subsequently, when I was 10 years old, I made an agreement with myself. I vowed that I would never be hurt by him again. So I fought back. I rebelled. I became resentful. 
And by the time I was 16 years old, I was emotionally disaffected, spiritually starved, physically broken, and resentful and angry. You see, just because I was over it didn't mean that my dad was over it. We battled every day. And when we weren't at each other's throat, I was terrified that he would leave me. On the one hand, I was abused and neglected. On the other hand, I was terrified of being alone. And I've been unpacking that baggage ever since. I became a runner. I never stuck around. Not because I was a coward or afraid of confrontation. As a matter of fact, I thrived on confrontation. But because I didn't care about anyone else but me. The soul to my dad was the vow I had made to be free from the pain and fear of loneliness. And the fear of loneliness. In my 10-year-old brain, the only way to be free from pain was to fight. As I grew older, I learned that it was much easier and less painful to run. So I ran from relationships, ran from friends, ran from jobs, ran from stability, ran from commitment. I ran from anything and anyone that represented the potential for pain. It's not surprising that pain chased me everywhere I ran. Fortunately, most of that dirty laundry has been cleaned, washed in the blood of the lamb, and sanctified by his righteousness. It was a painful process, though. It would have been easier had I recognized sooner that I was bound to my father by an unhealthy soul tie. I didn't see it because I had convinced myself that the agreement was made for the right reason, but executed with the maturity and myopia of a child. My ignorance kept me in bondage. I didn't know that breaking destructive soul ties involved repenting of the sin, forgiving the person even if that person is me, renouncing any covenants made with or because of that sin, then verbally breaking the soul tie with the person through prayer. The only thing I knew back then was that my dad had hurt me. How could I be guilty of sin when I was powerless to stop him? So what sin could I possibly be guilty of? What role did my 10-year-old brain play in the destructive soul tie that followed me long after my father passed away? It took decades to figure it out. A failed marriage, lost opportunities, and disaffected children left me clueless. I was looking for something my father did to me, not something that I had done to him. But ah, there it is, isn't it? I believed that I was innocent. But my innocence was a lie. In fact, it wasn't something that he did to me or that I did to him at all. It was something that I did to myself. I wasn't innocent. My sin was pride. I made the agreement to rely entirely on myself for comfort. Prideful self-reliance led me to the only possible outcome. Isolation. Now Satan had me. He had me looking at the speck 
in my dad's eye so that I wouldn't so that I would be blinded by the plank in my own eye he had me alone and on the run throughout my life isolation prevented others from counseling me advising me befriending me mentoring me or even loving me it prevented me from truly from fully trusting others Pride prevented me from trusting men and especially trusting, and this is the rub, trusting the masculine nature of God. As I grew, I affiliated with women. My affirmation came from women. My identity came from women. I was ill-informed and ill-equipped to contend with the demonic influences that had accompanied that isolation. The ambush was relentless. The soul ties to my father went unattended for years. The enemy had me outflanked and in full defensive mode. It got so bad that I became addicted, rejected, and homeless. Pride interdicted the ability to protect myself. But the good news is, the only way out is a full unconditional surrender at the cross of Christ forgiveness was the road less traveled and I wanted my life back I know this for certain now I am NOT subject to any agreement or soul tie that I made as a child or even as an adult that is contrary to the Word of God I not only have forgiven my dad for the years of abuse and neglect but I've also forgiven myself for the prideful self-reliance that caused me so much pain in my life. So what is the goal of forgiveness in the recovery process? How do I get free from emotional and spiritual pain? The goal of forgiveness in the recovery process is emotional and spiritual liberty. Forgiving sin does not release the offender from accountability to you or from the legal responsibility to the law, though we commonly hear some people use the phrase forgive and forget. On the contrary, forgiveness does not necessarily equate with forgetfulness. It can help mend broken relationships, but it does not compel reconciliation. In fact, it is more common for the victim to recall the bad act and associate that act with pain than it is to completely forget. God's purpose for forgiveness is to release you from that pain and bring peace into your life. It frees you from destructive anger. It is my opinion that forgiveness is more an act of self-preservation than it is an act of absolution. More than anything else, forgiveness allows you to break the soul ties that bind you to the offender, enabling you to move on in your life and prevent the pain from defining you. How many of us know victims? Everything they talk about is when I was hurt, when I was, pain, when I was in pain, when they did this, when they did that, the finger's always pointing away because their pain has defined them. The enemy has blinded them to the opportunity of liberty. The enemy wants to keep us bound up in our resentment, bound up by our anger. 
unable to see, unable to look up and find Christ. So why is forgiveness a survival skill? The practical application of forgiveness draws me closer to God. He becomes my protector and my avenger. When God steps up, I step down and abide under his shadow. Again, let me emphasize that forgiveness does not exonerate the bad actor from the pain they've caused you. It simply releases them from your vengeance and delivers them spiritually into God's hands for the inevitable reconciliation that awaits them. Let me say that again. God's hands for an inevitable reconciliation. No one gets away with it. Their sin is now a matter between them and God alone. My understanding of God's word on the subject of punishment is clear. It is his to adjudicate. Romans 12, 17 through 19 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means that's your responsibility to live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It is at this point that we, the fallible human race, fall short. We wrestle with God in our hearts and minds for the right to get even to exact our pound of flesh from the offender. True, it is human nature to want justice, but we also take justice too far when we try to impose it ourselves. We complicate the matter even further with our feelings of betrayal, unworthiness, regret, shame, and doubt. But God uses none of these to exact justice. All God wants is a contrite, penitent, The effort required to get to that point in one's life, the point of total surrender, usually requires deep reflection and transparency with self. I literally looked in a mirror one day and listed all of my crimes. I cried. I felt unworthy of God's mercy because of the things I'd done. I asked God to show me the source of my pain and the pain that I had caused others. I was embarrassed, humiliated, and ashamed. But there... Hidden between the shame and doubt was Jesus. He forgave me when I couldn't forgive myself. Jesus said it best when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You ever spend time with that phrase? Of course he's referring to my ignorance. But what if, my ignorance, but what if in my ignorance I can't forgive myself? Unforgiveness towards self can lead to unhealthy choices. 
Furthermore, forgiving myself does not minimize the magnitude of my offense. But it is an act of self-preservation that releases me from the powerful stranglehold that my sin would otherwise have in my life. As mentioned earlier, some say that forgiveness is not forgetfulness. I say, why not? What is the point of renting space in my head to something that I choose to forgive? Of course, I'll always remain mindful of the people I've hurt in the past. But the sinful act is what it is. It's in the past. I have to let it go. It is impossible, excuse me, it is impossible to live in liberty while cohabitating with past hurts. It's impossible. It causes stress, anxiety, disease, loneliness, and resentment. More importantly, when, re when resentment matures, it leads to isolation from God. Yahweh lives in the present. He does not resent me, and he cannot co coexist where resentment lives. The math is simple. If I'm resentful, look around to find God. He's somewhere near you. He wants to heal your hurt now, if you'll just give him your pain. In closing, forgiveness opens the door to peace and becomes the conduit through which the Holy Spirit brings joy. Fulfilling God's mandate to forgive permits Christ to arbitrate on our behalf for mercy from the Father when we've fallen short. Second, forgiveness is clearly defined in the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's conditional. We forgive others so that God will forgive us when we disobey him. Otherwise, unforgiveness becomes an anchor of resentment and hatred toward those who've hurt us. We can become mercilessly entangled by the snare of depression, despair, and self-loathing. We can become vulnerable to addiction, obsession, and control as we seek ways to soothe our pain. Third, healing is framed in the construct of forgiveness. God commands us to forgive. Forgiveness requires courage and spiritual fortitude. Third John 2 says, Beloved, may you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. Another condition. Forgiveness is a demonstrative manifestation of spiritual growth. You're grown up if you can forgive. It does not require an admission of guilt. It does not require repayment. And it does not require payback. Forgiveness is freely given to those who need it most. The unforgivable. The unworthy. I look at it this way. Forgiveness breaks the soul ties, sometimes created by the sin itself. When broken... We are no longer bound to the sinner. Forgiveness positions us for victory through our testimony. 
It breaks the chains of bondage from around our neck and from around the necks of others who have suffered a similar tragedy. More importantly, forgiveness revitalizes hope. Placing it back into first position over suffering. Now my life is defined by hope and not the pain that I suffered. Hope that next time I muck it up, I will be forgiven by God and that his grace will restore me to fullness of faith in Christ Jesus who lives in me. Finally, God commands us to forgive. Not because it relinquishes the sinner from their responsibility, but because it draws us back into the perfect will of God. It reunites us in one accord with the divine nature of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Isn't that a good word? I mean, it's, it's, it's useful. The word of God is practical. It's useful. It needs to be applied daily in our lives. We can walk according to the will of the Father simply by applying the words in his book. We walk through life with, uh, with these blinders on. You know, we've been hurt. Um, we've been offended. We don't have to be defined by that. You can overcome. We were all made to be overcomers. We were all made to be warriors, to fight for what is right, to do what is right, to represent God our Father, to be his spokesperson on planet Earth for the short time that we live here. We're to do whatever we can because eternally our life begins when we pass. But right now, right now is an opportunity to make Christ number one in our life, to make his example number one in our life, to make his character the thing that we seek, the thing that we choose to emulate. We are not defined by what happens to us. We are defined as honorable children of, and adopted sons and daughters of the Most High God. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It is written on the white stone that shall, will be given to you with your new name at the throne of judgment. What is your new name? Have you asked God to tell you, to reveal it to you? He will, you know. Just ask. So I'd like the prayer teams to come forward. If you'd like to be forgiven of something today, please come forward and meet with one of our ministry team leaders. We'll stand in agreement with you and pray with you. If you need prayer in any other area of your life, please come forward also. If you'd like to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to come forward as well and meet with one of our ministry team members. We can lead you in a simple prayer of faith that will start your life on a journey toward liberty and freedom. Please come forward now. And I'd like to leave you with this benediction. 
It comes from Romans 15 and verse 5 and 6. I believe we're using the um, ESV. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Amen? So please, I invite you to come forward. If you have a soul tie in your life that you'd like to break, our uh, esteemed uh, prayer team leaders uh, have that experience and we'll be able to help you with that. And if you would like, I'll hang around as well, and I'm, I'm more than and happy to help uh, to pray with you and to stand in agreement with you and to break those chains that bind you to, uh, to someone else. Uh, amen? Thank you very much for coming. I think, would you like to... Do you, have, do you have a song that you guys would like to sing? Yeah, please come on up and lead us out in, in, in song. Sarah will be singing solo, a cappella, up here. She's aka awesome. But what I would like to add to what Kevin is talking about is there are things that are easy to forgive and then there's things that are a lot harder. And it has to be done more than one time. Um, personally, I um, just want to share something. I just felt like the Lord wants me to share it without being too specific. But I had someone who... verbally and emotionally hurt one of my children over a period of time and I didn't know about it and when something happens to your kids it's at a whole different level how many of you can understand that but you have to look at it this way I'm sure God feels the same way we're his children and I have fought for that forgiveness. I've had to fight for it. And so there are many times when we think we're done with that forgiveness process. And we think we've conquered it. But until you can say that person's name or think that person in your mind and be totally at peace and not just a little ticked off, you're not done. And it's, and it's a process. And there's nothing wrong that that's a process. But we can't forget. And we can't cover it up. And so this is a really great reminder for us to check ourselves and be like, are we, are we really, am I really good? Am I done? Because um, some things are really hard to walk through, and especially when it affects the people that you love. And so I just, it's a, we have an invitation this morning to dig deep and, and for us to say, okay, God, am I holding on to something that I should not be holding on to, that is not mine to hold? And so as we sing this song, I just want you to, I want you to ask God, okay, God, am I holding something that's not mine? So.
I'm sorry. I don't mean to be tell you. <laughs> Better tell her the song. Stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. 
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. One more time. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. forgiveness and Lord as we learn how to forgive and learn how to look at things through your perspective Jesus we just pray for your peace and your love and your joy to fill us as we move throughout this week in Jesus name amen